Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. What good are all the world's riches if you die apart from faith in Christ? What good is happiness if you lack the joy of sins forgiven and the promised heaven? What good is the removal of your eating disorder or high blood pressure, even cancer or osteoporosis or the heart condition? What good is the removal of these things if you die apart from faith in the promised resurrection of the flesh and life everlasting? What good indeed? Being caught up in earthly and temporary things is foolish. Now, you know this by your own nature, probably by your experience, and certainly by what the Scripture says. Remember, Jesus says, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. That's a truism, even today. It's Jesus' way of saying you can find no confidence in your present life. Nor is there any kind of sturdy foundation that's going to get you through in any of this world's institutions, be it church, even family, and state. Today, you're prosperous and wealthy, but tomorrow you, or those around you, or the country indeed, could be bankrupt. Today, you might be healthy, and tomorrow, ill. Today, perhaps you're happy and joyful, and tomorrow, you might be depressed and sorrowful. Even today, you might be safe, and tomorrow, you might have enemies right at your gate. Now, at first glance, that's how we judge our lives, by how things are going, how's your day. And that's maybe a reason why we might pity those 4,000 in our gospel. Look at them, and how ignorant they are of their lack of bread and lack of preparation. They followed after Jesus, listening to him, and they have nothing to eat. They've seen great miracles. They've heard phenomenal preaching. And their hearts have been changed. And yet, it's for those reasons that they've actually gone hungry. They've given their full attention to Jesus, the bread of heaven, and yet look at them and how pitiful they are having ignored their bodily need. Or worse yet, has Jesus forgotten their need? You see, it's liars that teach happiness and prosperity are the signs that you should trust of God's favor toward you. It's a lie. Neither happiness nor prosperity are proof of God's love for you any more than sorrow and lack is proof, say, of God's despising you. No, God's favor, his disposition toward you is known exclusively in his love for you in Christ Jesus. The one who suffered for your sins, who died for you, who were, as Paul reminded us today, dead in trespasses, and rose in victory over all your enemies of sin, death, and devil. That's the proof of God's favor toward you. 
From Christ the crucified, your sins are pardoned. Your death is already now transformed into a blessed rest. And the devil is already now bound and being cast into hell. That truth, those gifts, are the only trustworthy sign of God's favor. Not any amount of happiness or prosperity. But that doesn't stop us from looking around and continuing to judge, maybe not ourselves according to that standard, but others. We see it goes quite well for some, and maybe not so for you. While it's true that this world is full of the love of God known in those gifts, same sun shining and the same rain falling upon the just and unjust alike, it seems that even among those who have no faith in Christ, they have even better job prospects, they're more healthy, probably more wealthy, and are, have a life full of luxuries. But what does that say about God for you? Nothing. Just as evaluating your life to see whether God is disposed favorably toward you, just as that's delusional, so it is by looking at anyone else to decide relatively speaking, if God loves you. But look at them and ask if they actually have what is needed and what you have. Rather than envy those who are living apart from Christ, they are the ones to be pitied, most pitied. And you ought to weep and pray for them. And if they are those whom you know, family or friends, make intercession for them, include them in your prayers that they would hear the gospel and have faith by the Spirit, that he would call them and that he would gather them into this church and enlighten them here with his holy word, and thus give to them the same blessings that you trust in, faith in Christ. So again, ask yourself, why do you worry about earthly bread? Were those 4,000 to be pitied? Not really. Why? Because God the Holy Trinity, always provides for you. He never forgets you. He never abandons you. He says it repeatedly from Moses on through to Jesus. And actually, this is right where Jesus wants you. Right where the multitudes were. Knowing that Jesus' words are the only things that really matter that day. That's what they truly needed to hear and receive. A food that lasts into eternity, and a cool water that refreshes and never refresh, ceases to refresh the soul. There's really no need for them to put down roots and try to build a life for themselves, maybe even set up a tabernacle. Instead, they're doing the right thing, maybe even forsaking everything and holding fast to Jesus alone, like a barnacle on a ship, never letting go riding on his coattails to the cross and resurrection and thus with him into resurrection. These multitudes, they know and believe that trust in Jesus is the only thing that matters. A daily life of faith. And then everything else will follow. A mission of love and truth that will actually not necessarily make their lives easier. But most of those multitude would later be oppressed 
by a tyrannical government. They would be rejected and suffer vitriol from family and friends for their faith in Jesus. And many of them, as a result of this oppression, would then suffer earthly want, not prosperity. Again, they weren't just going to go hungry that day, but because of their faith in Christ, that would continue on into their life. And, according to the world's estimation, that would be the most pitiable thing of all if it were not for this one fact. Jesus is risen from the dead. They have not forgotten the faith of their fathers. They've not lost their first love. They're holding fast to him, and they're listening to him. Therefore, after this, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. So Jesus also does reveal to you today that he and the Father and the Spirit don't forget your body's need. God reserves his gifts for a time some not to hurt or harm you. He wanted them to continue steadfastly with him, but notice that he still cares for them. And sometimes this is true. He allows sickness and trial, hunger and thirst, and even temptations to crucify you with your idolatrous love. Love of this earth, love of wealth, love of prosperity and happiness. He casts every idol from its throne that you would love him and him alone. He destroys your self-confidence and pride through the difficulties of this life. As the scripture calls this, it's being humbled. He humbles the proud and exalts the lowly. Thus God sees you and provides for you always. Sometimes in sickness, sometimes in health. Sometimes with happiness or sometimes with sadness. Sometimes with joy or sorrow and sometimes a little bit of all of it. And don't forget too that Christ Jesus knows exactly what it means to be hungry. Remember, he continued steadfastly in the Father's word as he fasted 40 days in the wilderness. He knows what it means to suffer, too, in his body. He was beaten and flogged and marred beyond any recognition, remember. Jesus knows what it means to be alone or forsaken or forgotten, abandoned. Jesus even knows what it means to suffer even to death. There was no divinity in that moment that overcame that very real human death. He gave up his breath, just as we all will. And he, like you, was placed in a tomb. You can never say that Jesus doesn't understand you, what, it like, what it's like to live this life. He knows what our life is like in every way, with hunger and thirst, sick and pain, abandonment, forsakenness, being mocked, and even dying. And all of that is finished in Jesus. He finishes it. Today, he says, he is the one bread you need. And he comes to you to feed you. With his word preached and absolution given, and with his body and blood upon the altar. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, 
we proclaim his death until he comes. He gives to you his holy supper to feed you today on this hill at his altar, where he gives you, under his body and blood, everything that he purchased and won for you. With his body and blood, he covers your guilt and shame. His body and blood is the only thing on that altar. Every other idol has been cast down. He turns your heart away from this world's cares and pleasures to the things that truly matter, faith in him. And he gives your eyes to see Jesus as you hear his words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He remembers you as you remember him. And thus, you know that he has not forgotten you. And he is here to take care of you, even today, as he did those 4,000. He holds fast to you so that you would hold fast to him. Today, Jesus sees your hunger, your thirst for righteousness, and he has compassion on you. His compassion is not merely knowing, but it's his loving doing for you. He sees your hunger and he feeds you. He sees your sickness and he cares for you. He sees your impending death, and he's already transformed that too, to all of that being a restful sleep. Do you see? Everything in this earth is temporary and fleeting. And it's already taken care of for you and actually for the unjust alike. But the thing that you have is just like what those multitudes follow Jesus for. Whether it's 4,000 or today, I don't know, 70. He feeds you with his righteousness, with his forgiveness, with his life and love and thereby gives you food for everlasting life. So let's cling to Jesus and to his every word, listen to him, hold fast to him, and never let go of him. In the name of Jesus, amen.